happening. Um, the event is hosted in conjunction with the Congressional Internet Caucus, and we'd like to thank our co-chairs, which on the House side is Congressman Bob Goodlatte and Congresswoman Anna Eshoo, and on the uh, Senate side, Senator John Thune and Senator Patrick Leahy. We've talked about internet governance issues a number of times over the past few years. Uh, it continues to evolve and uh, there are a lot of players, it's quite complex, but we hope that our extensive panel today will help shed some light on the issue. Um, just a bit of housekeeping before we get started. The hashtag for the event is net governance. Um, it's on your program here, as is all of the Twitter information for our panelists today, if you wanna tweet or follow along. And uh, with that, I'll turn it over to our moderator, Sally Wentworth Shipman. Sally Shipman Went Went Wentworth, I'm sorry, um, who is the Vice President for Global Policy at the Internet Society. And she's been working around these issues for a number of years and should uh, facilitate a very interesting discussion between our panelists. So, Sally. Very good. Oh. Am I on? Oh, there we go. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. It's a pleasure to see such a full house here today. Um, I think our organizers succeeded when they um, put the title together because it certainly, I think, draws in an audience. Um, we have a, a large panel here today, um, so thank you, Tim, uh, for that. We'll try to give everyone on, on the dais here an opportunity to uh, weigh in on these various topics and then hopefully as well um, take some questions from the audience. Um, I, this is a fairly complex set of issues. Um, internet governance um, certainly is, as the description of the panel says, um, can be dramatic. Um, and so our challenge this afternoon is to, to live up to that uh, billing here, that uh, this can be dramatic. But sometimes the, the, the dramatic aspects can get lost in the, the technical details or uh, the acronyms or the different processes. And so we will try to unpack some of that as well so that uh, you hopefully walk away with a fairly well-rounded understanding of both the issues and then the different points of views on those issues. Um, first, maybe what I'll do is just start from uh, my right and go all the way down and just have everyone introduce themselves very quickly, who you are, uh, what, who you represent, and then uh, we can then move into the discussion. Cheryl? Sure. Thank you, Sally. Cheryl Miller, Director of International Public Policy and Regulatory Affairs for Verizon. Hello, I'm Milton Mueller. And, uh, I'm with the Internet Governance Project, which is currently at Syracuse University, but in a month I'll be moving to Atlanta and joining Georgia Tech. Thanks, Sally. Uh, happy to be here. I'm uh, Michelle Sarah King. I'm the president and CEO of King Consult, a government affairs and consulting uh, firm here in Washington. Hi, I'm Jamie Hedlund. I'm uh, with ICANN, uh, VP for Strategic Programs and uh, Head of uh, Government Affairs for North America. And I, I like the title, but the juxtaposition of ICANN and Congress.sucks. Just want to clarify that's not ICANN's position. Hi, I'm John Nevitt. I'm uh, one of the co-founders of Donuts, Inc., uh, the largest new TLD applicant and registry operator now. Uh, I want to wish everyone today a happy Donuts Day. It's National Donuts Day, the 78th annual. So we brought donuts in for everyone. Uh, well, I, I thought it'd be a smaller crowd, so, but thank you. Thank you, John. Uh, I'm Peter Dengate Thrush. I'm a recovering IP trial lawyer. 
Um, I'm the former chairman of ICANN. I'm currently acting uh, on a number of bodies, including the uh, executive committee organising the Internet Governance Forum. Thank you. So maybe just for a little bit of audience interaction, how many in this room are, uh, have been exposed to or have learned at least something about internet governance? Okay, so we're not starting from, from zero here, which is good. If I do see perplexed looks in the audience, I'll uh, intervene and see if we can help um, uh, unpack some of these things um, if necessary. And please do raise your hand if you're completely lost. Um, Internet governance is a, is a broad set of issues. It's um, a set of issues that really emerged on the international policy scene um, over 10 years ago. Uh, it's, been, uh, it's gone through a lot of evolutions and it's certainly um, emerged in the last several years as a sort of topic du jour um, in, the, in the technology space. How do we govern this technology? Do we govern it? Is it governable? Who does it? Um, uh, and, and what does that governance structure mean for the technology itself that we all um, use and, and interact with on our daily in our daily lives? Um, we have certain values that we attach to the internet, things we've grown up with, the ability to access technology or access information from all over the world, the ability for bits to kind of move everywhere. Uh, the idea that uh, innovation is just part of this life cycle of technology that we're so familiar with. Um, but all of that has um, its foundation in some core principles in the way the internet um, technology was developed and the way the governance ecosystem around that technology was developed. And one of the things that makes it so complex, as I said, all these acronyms and processes is because there's no one single place that you go and as long as you learn that one organization, you've figured everything out. In fact, you have to go to a lot of different parts of the ecosystem, different parts of the organizational structures of the internet, and learn those in order to um, really engage, and that can be a real, a real challenge. Um, today, we're gonna talk about one piece of the broader internet governance ecosystem and landscape, and that relates to, um, specifically relates to IANA, and as the, um, the title suggests, um, some controversy that is uh, emerging over um, dot sucks, and um, what does that all mean for the future of where the internet is going? Um, this is only one part. You could have a whole other panel on lots of other parts of, of internet governance, so we're just going to take a, a small slice of it, but it's uh, fairly difficult and, and um, important to understand, and I think for many of you in this room, you will hear and read more and more about these issues if you haven't already. Um, so hopefully you, um, you get at least a, a good introduction here. So we're going to um, skip opening statements and just go straight into some Q&A with the panelists to, to introduce the topics. And I think the first thing we're going to talk about is the, the IANA transition, the transition of some core, the stewardship of some core kind of technical functions of the internet to the multi-stakeholder community. Um, a role the United States government has um, had a part of for uh, many years is now being shifted to the um, international multi-stakeholder community. And it's a, a complex uh, process and set of discussions that's going on around the world. And I thought I would um, turn first to Milton Mueller to give us a quick status update on where that process stands and um, why it's so important. Okay, well, those are two very different things. So why is it so important? Um, 
It's important because we need to get the Internet governance uh, into global governance. And as long as uh, ICANN is under the control of a single government, uh, we don't really have Internet governance. We have sort of a global unilateralism, which is bound to alienate uh, virtually every other government in the world and uh, could lead to pressures to... Uh, fragment, if you will, the governance mechanisms of the Internet and encourage other nation-states to try to assert control either through the ITU or, or unilaterally through their own domestic sovereignty. Uh, so this is a big test of whether we can actually do this, whether we can actually have a, a system of self-governance that is independent of nation-states. So that's why it's important, in my opinion. Now, where are we? Well, to put it as quickly as possible, we're about four months behind, maybe five. Um, the community agreed to do something very fateful and very interesting, which was we're going to split up the IANA functions into three different parts, and we'll have each operational community uh, handle their part of the proposal. So the IETF, the protocols people, have figured out what they want to do, and they have uh, done this since about January. Uh, the numbers people also uh, came in pretty much on time with a proposal, and uh, they submitted it to the coordination group uh, also in January. And we're waiting on names, and this is not that surprising. We all knew that names would be the most controversial. But uh, it looks like names really pretty much has their model set. Uh, the complicated part, which I won't get into here, is the accountability changes that have to be tied to the transition. And uh, I think, uh, with, I, I don't know how to characterize that briefly, but basically said, where do we stand now? We are fundamentally waiting for the names proposal for the IANA transition, and we're also waiting to see what kind of accountability reforms are going to be tied to that transition, and those reforms are looking quite complex. Uh, and we have just received public comments on the NAMES IANA proposal, and we are still in the comment process for the accountability reforms. Uh, thanks for that. Um, uh, Peter, maybe I'll turn to you, and, and you can tell us, uh, there have been a lot of um, um, truths and a lot of myths in, in the press and in public discourse about the IANA transition. I wonder if you could speak to what some of those are and, and maybe dispel a few of those for us. Yep. Yeah, thanks, Sally. Um, before we sort of dive down into uh, the IANA and some of the detail, it might be better just to up-level yeah. a, a little and get a couple of things sort of first clear. The U.S. at the moment does not govern the Internet and I don't want to uh, spoil the headlines, you know, journalists have to sell newspapers, but there's quite a lot of that kind of provocative uh, sort of language being used about the U.S. currently controlling or governing the Internet, uh, which isn't true. Uh, and, of course, this whole argument about whether it should come to an end is irrelevant. And the second part of that is, is the U.S. government does not exercise oversight over ICANN. Another thing that's talked about constantly U.S. government has indirect and very strong influence over ICANN, but there's no oversight uh, as that term is properly used. So it helps, I think, in thinking about things to keep a couple of things clear. And one of them is important to, just to know whether you're talking about governance of the Internet or governance on the Internet. And we found that quite helpful in discussions. So what we're not talking about is what runs across the Internet. 
We're not talking about adult content or tax or email or spam or fraud, things that people use the internet for. The US doesn't control that and, and, and couldn't and doesn't want to. Those things are the subject of a whole series of national laws and by agreement between countries and treaties, international laws. So no one is actually controlling, there isn't a place where you can go to control spam. And similarly, what we are talking more about is the governance uh, of the names, numbers and protocols of the internet. So I think it's important to keep those two things, of the many layers to this, if you can keep those things clear. And the last thing I'll just, with this opening comment, talk about this concept of uh, oversight of ICANN. ICANN was put together largely as a result of a call by the US government in the late 1990s by the global internet community, has been built by the global internet community, and you can tell perhaps from my accent that it has brought in people from all over the world, to build a multi-stakeholder model for making the policies for names and protocols uh, and uh, addresses. And there was considerable oversight of ICANN in the early years because there was a memorandum of understanding between the US Department of Commerce and ICANN. And for ICANN to make its bones and to be allowed to do what it was doing, it had to pass a whole series of tests that were set out in that original memorandum of understanding. And that eventually morphed into a joint project agreement, and that came to an end. And it was replaced by mutual declarations by the US government and by ICANN. Instead of making a contract with each other, they were declarations to the world as to how they were both going to behave in future. So that ended, if you like, direct US government oversight of ICANN. Under that agreement, ICANN had to perform according to these tests, submit reports to the US Department of Commerce, and the US Department of Commerce would occasionally have hearings into whether ICANN should be doing this at all. What we changed with the affirmation of commitments was reviews as to how well ICANN was doing it. So I'm going to stop at that point, I think, but it's very important, I think, to frame the context of the discussion. This is not about the US having control of the internet or having control of ICANN and giving it up. Thanks. So maybe I'll turn to us, if, if anybody else on this panel wants to take a question. I, I th one of the issues that you see in the press often is why this transition and why now? Uh, why, why is this the time to be undertaking this endeavor? Um, is there an urgency? Is there um, some specific uh, inflection point that led to this? Uh, what, what's driving this now? So I think th uh, there are a couple of things. Uh, Peter referred to the uh, creation of ICANN back in uh, 1998. And from the beginning, uh, in the original uh, sort of foundational papers, it was envisioned that uh, this contract that we now have would be transitioned, the stewardship of it would be transitioned over uh, within two years. So that would have been by 2000 um, for a lot of uh, reasons it, it didn't happen it hasn't happened um so i don't know 17 years later seems like a good time um the uh but there's as, as um sally as you mentioned earlier there's a lot of things going on in the world on global internet governance and it's important to point out that ICANN is only a small part of uh global internet governance um, but it plays a disproportionate role uh, because it's the most visible, it's the most uh, developed, uh, structured. It's the only one where their governments have a structured role and place within uh, within ICANN. Uh, and so, while there are much bigger debates going on, much more important debates 
going on in internet governance than uh, names and numbers. Um, other governments are looking at how the U.S. deals with its role with, with ICANN. Does the U.S. Um, uh, remain uh, f uh, faithful to its support for the multi-stakeholder model and step back as it said it would uh, you know, some 18 years ago? Or uh, does it say, well, we like the multi-stakeholder model except, you know, uh, except where we're in control? Uh, and that's, they're not in control, and Peter, Peter's right, but that's the perception. Um, so if, uh, if people are concerned about issues of content, of privacy, of cybersecurity, and are concerned that, you know, about where those issues get dealt with, um, the, how this transition is, uh, is performed will have a lot to do with what venue those issues ultimately go uh, for resolution. So Milton, you mentioned that um, when I asked how is it going, you said, well, we're behind. Um, I wonder if you could uh, address the, the issue of the timeline and of the, of the calendar and, and what the next steps are. Um, and does it matter that we're behind? Does it matter? You said, I think you said four months or three months behind um, five, depending on who you ask. Um, what, does that matter or should we be worried about that? We should. Um, first of all, in terms of why, why is this happening now, you, you can't answer that question without mentioning the revered name of Edward Snowden. And uh, I, I'm sorry we have to walk around eggshells. Nobody else in the world does, only in Washington. Will somebody ask that question and not hear about Snowden? So here I am making a nuisance of myself. But, but that's the fact. Uh, Snowden made it look like the U.S. was uh, the, 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 all of our rhetoric about Internet openness and global, globalness and freedom was, was a smokescreen for U.S. control. And I, again, I don't agree with Peter that the U.S. doesn't control ICANN. The, the, the U.S. gives a contract to ICANN, and if they don't fulfill that contract, they can withdraw it, and ICANN would be fundamentally nothing without this IANA contract. So what we're trying to do is replace the U.S. government role, and the U.S. wants to do that uh, because it has to be consistent now, post-Snowden, about the multi-stakeholder model. It has to say, yeah, we are going to play by those rules too. Now, what does that have to do with whether being late is a problem? Everything. Because lots of people don't trust us to carry through with this. They think this could all still be a fake. They think that maybe... Uh, the U.S. is sort of saying they're going to do this, and then they're going to say, oh, it's too complicated, and the community doesn't really want it, and the Congress is going to interfere, and it's never going to really happen. And the longer the deadline gets pushed back, the more those fears uh, become uh, uh, fueled by, by those uh, lack of trust. So I think we're going to... Um probably segue from that point into a, the broader global uh, context uh, towards the end of this panel, but I think Milton makes a good point on, on timeline and the world is, is certainly watching uh, this transition and, and whether or not this stakeholder community can rise uh, to the challenge of the moment. Peter. I'm going to agree with Milton, even though he's uh, uh, disagreed with me on a point, and we can argue about the, about the impact of the IANA contract uh, on another day, but um, just one fact point that, that backs up Milton's point about the timing of this. You may not understand that most of the importance of the IANA contract is that it controls who puts top-level domains into the route, like .com, 
but that also includes the top-level domains that the country codes operate, like the one I'm familiar with, .nz. But you can also think of .france or .brazil or, or the other 240-odd for all the other countries. And under the process of making any changes to those, a process that's run through the ICANN multi-stakeholder process eventually comes to a relatively low but important official in the US Department of Commerce. And the fact that the Brazilian top-level domain or the German top-level domain or the French top-level domain has some kind, that the control of that has some kind of US government official oversight over its performance drives other governments bananas. And so for, for the irritation and the political losses that that causes, if there could be an arrangement where that didn't happen, things would be much better. So there's a, it's a huge provocation, what is in fact a relatively minor step in the technical process. So getting rid of that into some other safe and stable process has huge political advantage for the current system. John, I think you had a point. Thanks, Sally. Um, we have to look at the risk of transition. You read a lot about um, what happens when U.S. stewardship transitions and what's, what are the risks of that. But you have to weigh that against the risks of not transitioning and what would happen if we don't transition and the scenario that Milton painted where um, it's a smokescreen and it doesn't happen and what would happen in the rest of the world and how would they react and how would that impact Internet governance. So you have to balance those risks when you're looking at this. And that's why um, you know, a lot of us are working very hard on, on this transition to make sure we get, we're getting it right. Uh, Milton and I, for those of you who speak ICANN, uh, serve on the ICG on this panel, and there are 20 some odd other people who are advising ICANN on the transition and ha how that should go and coordinating the, um, the three groups that Milton mentioned. Um, Timeline-wise, we should also look at when the contract, the current contract expires in September, and uh, there's an automatic right of renewal for the U.S. government. So, uh, you know, a lot of us believe that we have one shot at doing this. Let's do it right. We don't need to. We want to get it done, and we want to avoid the risk that Milton mentions, but we, we want to make sure we do it in a timely way, but also in a correct way, and, and we get the multi-stakeholder model in place and get the proposals in place that make sense. So we, we many of us believe that the contract will be uh, undoubtedly extended and hopefully for enough time that it doesn't risk the, the um, downside that Milton mentions but gives us enough time to get it right. Of course. Just jump in. Um, you know, we've been talking about the transition and the accountability in these processes, and there's a lot of acronyms. It's a complicated process. And uh, although the processes are transparent and they're open meetings and open calls, it's hard. It's a, it's a, the internet ecosystem. It's hard to to sort of jump into the game. It's it's but it's important for people to realize that this is important and something. If you're interested in it, to sort of jump in and and be active and be engaged in this process. Um, that's what it's designed for though it's really kind of hard to sort of break in and you know starting from the sort of you know what all, all these uh, the ICG versus the CCWG and um, you know <laughs> some people don't even know you know I can that what ICANN actually stands for, the uh, Internet Corporation for Assigned Names and Numbers. Um, the regularly people ask uh, what that even stands for so that's sort of the starting block. Thanks. I definitely uh, appreciate Milton's points, um, but I would have to say that in terms of timeline, security is really important. And so making sure that this is done right from a company standpoint is really important for us. And so we understand that, you know, we don't want 
it to be a process that's dragging, but given the work that's going into it, it seems that the communities are quite engaged uh, and that progress is being made, particularly in the accountability stream. There's been some great uh, work that's ongoing there. And so I think, uh, you know, I feel very positive about the movement forward. And if it takes a little bit longer, certainly we want to make sure that we get it done the right way, the NTIA conditions are, are met, um, and that we don't miss anything in the process. So I, maybe if the panelists will indulge me, I might switch um, order a little bit. And I think you, Cheryl op opened an opportunity for us to, to move into discussion of ICANN accountability, which has been a, a significant part of the uh, transition discussion so that we keep the IANA portions together. Um, I, there's been a lot of discussion uh, within the IANA transition about accountability, not just for ICANN, but across the, uh, the, these organizations that make up the internet. So um, it's an important discussion, and I wonder, um, uh, maybe Milton, if, can you talk about why, why this issue, why accountability, what does it, what does it mean for the transition, but what does it also mean in, the, in this whole internet um, ecosystem? It really is a central issue. Um, first of all, the U.S. Uh, relationship <clears throat> through the IANA contract was a kind of a safety net that many people felt they had, that if anything went really bad, they could go cry to the U.S. government, and the U.S. government would threaten ICANN or do something and put pressure on it, and it would get fixed. And, in fact, that happened maybe 10 years ago a couple of times. Um, more, more fundamentally, okay, once the U.S. government is out, then what is the accountability mechanism? And it gets to that first point I made when we started, which is we're going to have global self-governance of the Internet community. Then how does the Internet community make itself, its own institutions, accountable? Uh, and in the four years leading up to the transition, there was a growing chorus of dissatisfaction with ICANN's accountability from all sectors, of the community. The non-commercial people of which I am a part were saying, you know, we don't really have consensus on these policies and you're tweaking them at the last minute to satisfy the intellectual property interests. The intellectual property interests were saying, we don't want any new top level domains at all and here you are creating thousands of them. Uh, the registries and registrars were saying, you're presenting us with these contracts and they're, they're contracts of adhesion. You're saying take it or leave it. You're holding off our new business entry until we sign these things, even though we think they're horrible contracts. So there was a unified push, and people kind of came to confrontation with the fact that there really was no fundamental accountability mechanism in ICANN. They had plenty of participation, plenty of transparency, but no actual control by the community. So in the process of the transition, there was kind of an implicit bargain struck, which was, okay, ICANN, you'll get the stewardship of IANA, but you're going to be made accountable. You're going to be reformed. And that's the deal. And so it's a fundamental not only as part of this dissatisfaction with ICANN and the problem of fixing ICANN, but again, if we're going to create this non-governmental governance so that we can be global, uh, it has to work. Jamie, I wonder if you could describe um, some of the issues that are being tackled as part of the accountability review process within uh, the transition process. Um, for those of you who aren't deeply enmeshed in this, there are multiple committees and working groups, all with um, 
various acronyms and, and um, their own sets of rules and people involved. So um, I'll suffice it to say that there's a whole group of people very focused on this question of accountability. And maybe you could talk a little bit about what issues they're grappling with right now. Sure. Um, so uh, it's interesting. I mean, this started off as a focus on the transition of uh, the stewardship of these functions. Uh, but I think for most people uh, in this town, what's really of, uh, of most interest is the accountability uh, process, much less so the um, more technical uh, subject of the uh, of the of the uh, stewardship of these uh, of these functions, which have been generally uh, run pretty well over the past um, several years. Um, so, on the accountability side, I think there was a, there was I differ a little bit with Milton's uh, character characterization of how it came up. But I will say that, um, you know, throughout ICANN's uh, history, there have been uh, serious attempts at increasing ICANN's accountability and transparency. And th um, those have uh, wrought, I, I think maybe Milton might even agree, some significant changes and improvements. Um, one of the one of the things about uh, about the multi-stakeholder model is everybody loves it until they don't get their way, <laughs> and so some of the some of these things are legitimate, you know, absolute um, issues that need to be dealt with. Uh, some of them are um, uh, are are more narrowly uh, focused uh, on the accountability. Um, and and Milton, please keep uh, keep me honest here, but they're they're, they're focused on a number of things uh, at a high level. One is uh, community community empowerment. So what does that mean? So that means that uh, the community has more power over ICANN decisions and uh, the ICANN organizational structure. Uh, there, there would be more uh, the, the ability for the community to uh, veto uh, ICANN strategy, uh, uh, ability to veto ICANN's budget, all on the grounds of um, you know, not hewing to ICANN's mission. Uh, there would be uh, the ability to recall individual board members or um, uh, or or the entire board for you know for going rogue. Um, these you know these are all these are all great things. Um, there's also uh, you know, uh, work to improve the existing accountability mechanisms. So um, the independent review panel, which is sort of a third-party uh, arbitration process. Um, making it binding on ICANN, making it um, uh, uh, you know function better, improving the the internal board reconsideration requests. Um, then and then uh, I guess the uh, the last uh, major sorry change is um, on on the bylaws. Thank you. Uh, so. Um, this includes both uh, moving things we talked uh, we heard from Peter about the affirmation the commitments the reviews that uh, that are community driven of ICANN's uh, uh, ICANN's work those would be moved uh, from this agreement between us and the Department of Commerce uh, to into the bylaws uh, the other th the other change uh, to the bylaws would be to designate certain of them as uh, fundamental the uh, bylaws which would um, uh, focus primarily on ICANN's uh, mission and and uh, and and what our uh, scope of work is, but also uh, include much higher thresholds for um, overturning. Uh, so, 
that at a high level are the, are the things there are you know it, the the big um, sort of lower level sort of uh, proposal uh, more granular proposal right now uh, that's in the existing uh, draft would be to transform ICANN uh, into a membership based organization. Um, this would have the impact of uh, creating a different fiduciary duties from the board uh, to the members and have give powers to the members vis-a-vis uh, -vis the board. Uh, Milton just uh, wrote about that uh, in a blog and uh, uh, anyway, that's in the current draft and we'll see where it goes next. <coughs> okay, uh, I have Peter in the queue and then John. Thanks. Um, I'd again just like to um, put this in a bit of context. I agree with all that's been said. I think the first thing to remember is what we're talking about here is, is an absolutely novel form of governance of anything. There's never been a global, uh, a global resource, and in this case it's the most important one I can think of, the internet, governed by a new mechanism. And it's one of the reasons why as a lawyer I got involved in the first place. This is a corporation that happens to be by almost accident uh, an American corporation, but that's about the end of it. It's a truly multi-stakeholder, multinational body where all of the people that are involved in this process come together and make rules. And probably the most significant feature of that is the role that governments play. And there's never been a body in which governments have uh, either individually or collectively only an advisory role. So developing mechanisms for a body like that that needs a huge amount of protection because the internet's very important, huge amounts of money are made by players in this space. Designing a me governance mechanism that could not be captured and yet it was still free and nimble enough to move at internet speed has been an ex incredibly exciting uh, exercise. So in defense of perhaps uh, my time there, I can tell you that there were huge improvements made uh, in improving accountability and we moved from being a very closed shop where bo the board minutes revealed almost nothing to having fully disclosed board minutes, rationales published for board meetings, a FOIA, what Americans would understand as a kind of FOIA type process and lots of other mechanisms trying to move ICANN from being uh, too closed and, and, uh, and too hard. But I also agree uh, with Milton that there were, we got to the stage where there were a whole series of incidents and insiders will remember the straw man incident where having carefully negotiated a balance <coughs> between the community and the very powerful intellectual property interests, the rules were suddenly changed minutes before the contracts were signed in favour of the intellectual property interests. And I'm not saying whether the change was good or bad, the point is that the process uh, was, uh, was changed. And there were, there were a couple of other things. Successive reviews of ICANN accountability pointed out how the three major mechanisms were not satisfactory. The ombudsman, very limited scope, reconsideration of a board decision. As a lawyer, I can tell you it's great to be on the ICANN side of that fight. The grounds are so limited. Almost no one's ever had a, a point of any substance reconsidered. Uh, and the independent review process that's available as a kind of a judicial process, far too expensive, far too restricted. And all I would say in, in partial defence of those, because I think they are, they've got to the point of being indefensible, is that they were governed by the same kind of thinking that ICANN needed to be protected. So the thresholds for these things were set high. But the time has come to change them. And I think it's, the work that's been done has been tremendous. The idea of taking the... Um, the affirmations that ICANN made as to how it was going to operate out of a bilateral agreement and putting it into the bylaw so it is truly uh, directed at the world, strengthening um, all the other points, and I won't go over them again, that uh, Milton and others have raised. What I would caution, I guess, is to take very carefully the major change that's coming with these accountability mechanisms, which is to start turning the individual integers of ICANN into legal structures in their own right. 
again, may, it may be required, but I would just caution that we approach that very carefully, again with the mindset of control. These are there are powerful forces interested in this and a lot of money at stake. So new structures are going to need new control mechanisms. Thanks. Great. Um, John, and then I have a, a closing question on this issue, and we'll switch to the, to the hot topic in the, in the uh, headline. <laughs> tough following Peter because he said most of what I wanted to say. The th the, taking it up a level, level the three major um, accountability mechanisms that ICANN currently has, as Peter mentioned, the ombudsman, the reconsideration request, and the independent review process, they're all advisory to the same body that made the decision in the first place. So th that's what we're trying to uh, deal with and trying to change. Uh, corporations in the U.S. have shareholders that they're accountable to. Nonprofits usually have members. That's what we're trying to change here and make ICANN accountable um, more <coughs> so than it is now. I mean, it's an incredibly transparent organization. People work very hard. We're not saying that anyone in ICANN's history uh, has made mistakes or done anything wrong, but what we need is to make sure in this opportunity to make sure that we set up a process for ICANN accountability that makes sense going forward. So, Peter, to follow up on something you said, uh, this is this is a fairly new um, a new thing we're trying to do: uh, transition the the last vestiges of a of a government oversight to a truly international, multi-stakeholder system. Um, are there lessons learned in this discussion of accountability that could be applied beyond this specific context to the broader internet um, ecosystem? Are there things that I'm, I marvel at the number of people and minds and, and energy that's been put into this. People take it very seriously. Businesses depend upon it. We all depend upon this going well. Um, are there things we can, we can start to glean at this stage of the process uh, for, for other uh, parts of the ecosystem? Well, I'm sure there are other experts on the panel who can address that better than I can. What I would say is what I've seen is the, uh, um, first of all, ICANN didn't, invent, but I think it's pioneered aspects of the multi-stakeholder system. I think we draw a lot of what ICANN does from systems pioneered in the Internet Engineering Task Force where the technical policies for the Internet are made and many of the ideas of the open fora and the, and the groups come from that. I think ICANN was more difficult because trademark lawyers and others uh, arrived with a slightly more argumentative stance um, and, and of course the whole uh, governmental relationship rose. But what we have seen is that move out of ICANN uh, and it's gone into uh, the WISIS process, for example, and, and people, some of them in this room, fought very hard when the United Nations was developing its World Summit on the Information Society and fought to make that a multi-stakeholder process where civil society, the technical community, so, uh, uh, academia and governments all can address the thing. So I think we're seeing this, this concept moving out into, into broader fields. Okay, so um, one thing, uh, Tim, I'm not sure where you are in the room, but one thing, it might be um, helpful if people want more information on sort of the, the nuts and bolts of IANA, how it works. There are a lot of very good resources. ICANN has done some great work. There's some pieces on the uh, ICG website, and maybe we could send some pointers if there's a sign-up sheet or something to people in, in this room. So if you, if you want to know and, and understand more deeply how it works, I think there's some, some great things to, to get you started. And I know any people up here and many in the audience would be happy um, to help with that. Um, so now I'm going to switch gears to uh, the other topic, which is, um, well, it says here Congress.sucks, but I'm not going to take that one on. 
Um, but it does talk about the dot sucks domain controversy. So let's uh, let's go to the controversy. We'll see if we get some more uh, drama in the room now, which is what we were what we were promised. Um, I think that maybe the place to start first is with uh, uh, with sort of new GTLDs. I mean, it's not so much new anymore, but maybe that's the first um, basis, and then we can move into the specifics of this uh, specific uh, GTLD. But Jamie, do you want to kind of give us the, the room an overview of, of why we're even having this conversation? What is a new GTLD program and what is, what's sure. happening now? So um, to take a step back, there's really two things that ICANN does. Uh, one is we perform these technical functions, which is the subject of the transition. And the other is we facilitate policy development related to those functions. So related to the naming function in the root zone file is uh, uh, generic top-level domains. Um, registries as well as registrars and uh, when we were started one of our mandates was to increase competition in uh, the domain name space uh, at the time there was effectively one registry and one registrar um, we did a lot of work on uh, on in the registrar space registrars are, the, are like GoDaddy or Enom they sell names to uh, uh, on the retail market uh, and we went from one um, one registrar to now we have close to a thousand, and the prices have come down. You know, from you know, eighty dollars a name to uh, to, to seven. Um, beginning in two thousand five, uh, there was um, a uh, an effort in, in the community to open up the registry space, so the top level domain space, to competition. Um, uh, to greater competition, there was um, up until two thousand. 10, I think 21 uh, or 22, depending on how you count, um, uh, t generic top-level domains. And as Peter s uh, indicated, these are different from country codes, which are uh, sovereign uh, assets of individual nations, and they set the, uh, the policies for, for these. Um, we had a couple of experiments along the way. Uh, after an eight-year um, or sorry, after a, a three-year process, the new policy came out uh, that were basically the principles that would drive the opening up of this of this market. Um, and then for the f subsequent um, five years, there was the community worked on developing the rule book or the app what was called the applicant guidebook, which set the rules for both applying uh, as well as running these new GTLDs. Um, and some of the lessons we learned from w the early uh, experiments was that. Uh, ICANN's not very good at picking which registry, which top-level domain is going to succeed. You know, we had we had very limited, uh, uh, very limited launches of uh, of a handful of, of top-level domains. Uh, this time, we were going to get out of the way, um, and we would let uh, let the community decide, the market uh, um, communities, others. What you know? What what top level domains may attract the most um, uh, the most traffic? Uh, but at the same time, we developed a stringent evaluation process that all these applications would go through uh, to ensure that they were financially sound, operationally sound, technically sound, uh, that they didn't uh, uh, at the top level violate um, any trademark um, uh, rights of of, uh, of others. Uh, and then we also developed uh, objection mechanisms so people could object uh, to these top-level do domains being uh, given out, um, as well as uh, uh, procedures post-delegation after they're in the uh, 
where uh, people can uh, ask for names to be at the second level or the top level to be uh, to be revoked under certain under certain grounds. So that's 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 the process. We end, we ended up with uh, some 1,930 applications. We're um, we've uh, delegated uh, almost 650. In other words, we put almost 650 into the into the route. There will be likely a total of 1,400 uh, that are delegated. There's our individual ones, um, and I can go to Dot Sucks if you want, or you can go. <laughs> So we have a whole host of new uh, top-level domains in the, in the route now, which brings us to uh, the one that is in the press most often lately, which is .sucks. And uh, people are irritated. People um, are, are concerned. Um, lots, of, lots of hands ringing um, over this particular one. Um, Michelle, maybe I can, can I turn to you? To, can you explain what the controversy is, what's the consternation over this particular top-level domain? So with .sucks, there was um, the, um, the registry. Um, people can um, have to, if they want to reserve their name, uh, pay the um, people who are running .sucks for their name, and uh, they set what the price was. And if you don't register, then you know, you potentially could be squatted by someone else that could be on the general availability. I, you know, I, uh, Peter just said, you know, that trademark lawyers were argumentative through the process. I, I, you know, someone has to speak up for intellectual property. And so, you know, it would make sense that the trademark community would. And so um, that also talks to sort of bigger questions about this whole process and the role of the different parts of the community. And, and one, I would just add, as we sort of move forward with whatever the future of ICANN and IANA transition looks like is that if the community has the power to to run the process or or control the process, their their input has to be enforceable. I mean, if you just sort of say, well, you know, we're just going to say this, well, uh, you know, there's free speech, but it has to be enforceable. There has to be some mechanism, whether it's an adjudication body or someone, that then goes the process. Which um, on the dot sucks uh, the this. Um, on, so, so that's one piece. But then on the dot sucks, there was a request made by ICANN to, or a letter sent by ICANN to um, the Federal Trade Commission and the corresponding uh, Canadian uh, body, as uh, the registry who runs uh, dot sucks is based in Canada. And the FTC um, indicated that this was sort of not in their jurisdiction and sort of punted it back. And it's unclear sort of what the future looks like, but there are some challenges here because the the road is is hazy. The road's not clear, and um, you know security and and squatting is a is a problem. Uh, I'm going to turn Cheryl. You're uh, obviously represent a, a big international or corporation. Uh, can you speak about some of your concerns with with this? Uh Situation. Sure, happy to. First, I, I want to make something clear. It really is up to a trademark owner to protect their trademarks. Um, that's kind of like trademark 101. Um, and with respect to the GTLD program, just generally speaking, again, I'm not convinced that we need thousands of new top-level uh, domains. There's actually a lot of infringement in this space, and I'll give one uh, example, and then I'll get uh, more specific on dot sucks and some of the issues on that. So recently, there was a gentleman in China um, who wanted to register Verizon.Wang, and via translation, that would be Verizon. Dot, the equivalent of Verizon.Net or Verizon.Web. 
So we went ahead and we filed a complaint with the World Intellectual Property uh, Organization, which we won. Uh, and in the process, this gentleman offered to sell this to us for $1,500. And so you may ask, okay, well, how did he come up with $1,500? Well, that was actually the cost of the WIPO complaint. And so there is, I, I highlight this because there is room for sort of predatory behavior in this space. So I understand that folks have raised uh, the freedom of speech uh, support for the .sucks domain. Um, there already is a, a, a Verizon sucks.com. There's a Verizon really sucks.com. So <laughs> I don't really see why you would need to open up a whole new top level domain just to express that. Um, there is already an avenue for that. And last time I checked, I would bet most people in this room haven't got in onto one of the sites that end in .biz. You probably went onto .com today because most of the traffic is still gravitating through .com. Another issue is with respect to the process behind this. Um, so this is actually, um, I did a little bit of more research on this. Uh, it, this seems to be one of the most expensive of all the top level domains at $2,400. Others range from about $20 to $700. And if I'm wrong on that, someone can call me out on that. But this is just from my very cursory um, view of it. And from our standpoint, it really seems like it's, it's more of a business venture to shake down trademark owners. Um, these questions came up. There was a House Judiciary hearing on this topic not too long ago. And some of the, some of the comments stated that you know, .com works perfectly fine. Um, why do we need more GTLDs, and why is this particular one such a high price? So these are just a, a few of our concerns with it, um, and we, you know, we were supportive. There was a letter that went out from ICANN's business constituency, and we thought we were very supportive of the comments made in that, um, and we, we are continuing to follow the process. We've registered um, Verizon, uh, suck, Verizon, uh, excuse me, dot sucks. And the reason we've registered is we're considering these as defensive registries. Um, so I think that that's Im important to understand. Um, okay, John, you from a different business perspective. <laughs> so I think you have to divide the dot sucks issue between um, should there be a dot suck, should there be new TLDs, and the pricing program for the for the registry that is the oper uh, that is operating that that name, you know, um, the new TLD expansion has been a success. Over five plus million names have been registered. Uh, we applied for 307 TLDs. We're now operating about 185. We'll probably get around 200. And and our model was the point, as Jamie mentioned, of the program was to bring competition to the registry space. We want to provide more consumer choice and competition in that space. So if, we, if you look at .com as a large downtown department store, we could have competed with it by building another large downtown department store a couple blocks away like .biz tried. And uh, we decided not to go in that route, to go that route. We decided to build a shopping mall where we have a whole lot of boutiques and some anchor tenants. And our boutiques include .plumbing, .pizza, pretty much uh, other keywords that you could think of. And we don't think .plumbing is going to be the next .com. But if you're a plumber and you want to announce to the world with more semantic meaning what you're doing on the internet, you would want to register .plumbing over .com. It means something. .com doesn't mean anything anymore. So we have uh, a lot of plumbers that are using .plumbing already. A lot of photographers using .photography already. Hard to spell and long, but they love it. 
Um, so the new TLD program uh, so far is a success. Uh, there'll be more names and with more um, with more applicants, they took longer to come out, one of the problems with the program. So some of the even more uh, popular names will haven't been released yet, but will come out soon. Um, the new TLD program includes more required protections than in the incumbent TLDs. So if you look at trademark uh, protection, as uh, Peter mentioned and uh, Michelle mentioned, there are a lot more requirements for trademark protection, mandatory sunrise, which means the trademark holders get the first crack at getting their names. Um, and then a lot of registries layered on additional protections for trademarks. So for example, uh, donuts, because we applied for so many, we have what, what's called a DPML, or a Domains Protected Marks List, where all you have to do is register your mark with us, and you could block your name across virtually all of our TLDs. So if had we operated .sucks, for example, we wouldn't probably be talking about it because it would have just been blocked with any other. Verizon bought one of our blocks, for example, and it would have just been blocked with, with all the others. Um, I, I think it's actually unfortunate, Cheryl, that you bought the name and, and spent the money because, like you said, if someone wants to have a gripe site on the internet, they could do it on .sucks, they could do it on .com, they could do it anywhere, they could do it on Twitter or Facebook. And uh, so, you know, whether... Uh, it's defensive or not defensive, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm just surprised that so many people are buying into it and just not ignoring it, which is what I, I thought probably would, would happen. But I, I understand, I guess, from a, from a large corporation standpoint why, why one would consider that. But um, I, I do think it's unfortunate the way they priced it. I think it's unfortunate how uh, trademark holders feel about it and they're, you know, stuck between a rock and a hard place, and, and I get that. But I, I think it's an unfortunate situation. Peter, oh, you're in the queue. Okay. Yes, again, at, at the understanding that newspapers need to sell and so headlines are provocative, the, the idea that this is some kind of a shakedown or extortion is just absurd. The 680 top-level domains, and in every single one of them, as far as I know, including all of the CCTLDs, you can register a NikeSucks.nz or a NikeSucks.Brazil or a TigerWoodsSucks.Golf. Um, the idea that one particular TLD somehow changes the balance and opens you to intolerable abuse is just ridiculous. You're open to that abuse all over the place, and most of you deal with it properly by ignoring it. And because you ignore it, it goes away. So I agree with John. I think uh, if I'm, say, I am an IP lawyer, and, and if clients come to me and say, what should we do about registering these things? I say, well, you know, how much, how much do you think this is really going to affect your business? And you make a business judgment. It's not a shakedown because a shakedown or an extortion has something that they hold over you. And the hold in this case, as I say, is almost infinitesimal. But the worst thing about this, I think, is the suggestion that's coming up that ICANN has somehow failed by creating a scheme without price controls. Let me remind you, as, as, as Jamie gave in his very uh, accurate description uh, of the development of this process, that it's community-centred. The community examined the fact that .com is price controlled and ran from that immediately. And there is absolutely no suggestion from anyone that ICANN should be in the business of creating price controls over top level domains. And for, you, for people to start suggesting now that that is somehow a mistake and that you want ICANN to be exercising price controls when you want it is a, is a very dangerous retrograde step that I counsel strongly against. ICANN should not be in the business of setting price controls and hasn't. And I, I'm not quite sure, it's, it's interesting, we've, we've actually got the chairman of, current chairman of ICANN in the room. I'll ask him afterwards why ICANN thought this was appropriate to send to a particular one-only national competition authority. But 
that's the partial answer. All the competition authorities in the world can exercise abuses of competition law in their jurisdictions when they arise. But so you do not want ICANN becoming your price controller of domain names. Thanks. So uh, this begs a question then of, uh, we, we covered IANA and now we've covered dot sucks. Does one have anything to do with the other? <laughs> um, because they have been linked in the, in the press and in the headlines. Uh, Milton, I wonder if you might uh, help us think about that. Yeah, so this is an example of why the U.S. needs to let go of uh, this special relationship it has with ICANN because essentially it puts the U.S. Congress and the U.S. political establishment in a position to second-guess the policymaking community that's supposed to be done in ICANN. And there are interests within ICANN and within the United States who will exploit that consistently to take a second bite at the apple. Oh, we lost in the ICANN environment. We didn't get consensus for our favored policy. Let's go to Congress and make a big stink about it and see if we can get it reversed, which completely undermines, of course, the multi-stakeholder model because, you know, you're playing the game and then you're in bad faith shifting the game to another political venue. So let me just say this about Dot Sucks. It, it's particularly ironic to me to see uh, people like L. Gordon Krovitz making an issue of Dot Sucks um, because this is the same guy that's telling us that the U.S. has to stay in control because of freedom of speech. And if we don't have uh, the U.S. in control of ICANN, then the freedom of speech on the Internet will be, uh, will be lost. And now he's saying... Here's the U.S. should be intervening to stop uh, this dot sucks domain is an example of how the U.S. should be intervening to stop something that's bad. Well, what is bad about dot sucks? Is it, you know, do, do you have a right to say that a corporate corporation sucks? Even if it doesn't suck, do you have the right to say it? You know, if any of you think that I suck, I'm sure that I don't, but if you think I do, you can write a book. And say that. That can be the title. Milton Mueller sucks. You can, you can have a book title. You can have a library entry. You can have a domain name that says that. Uh, so the idea that uh, sucks is extortion, here's the game, here's the problem you get into. If you want to create this space that is open and free for people to express these gripes, then how do you prevent defensive registrations? Well, how do you prevent all of the good names of, of corporations that really do suck from being grabbed by the trademark owners and registered defensively? Well, you price discriminate. Uh, you offer it at a low price for the people who want to use it for uh, expressing gripes, and you say, if you want to preemptively register that to suppress the expression of people who want to criticize you, well, you have to pay a lot more. Is that kind of a, a nasty business model? Maybe, but how else would you do it? Um, how, how else would you deal with this problem? So I think that really has to be borne in mind is that the IANA transition has absolutely nothing to do with whether you think ICANN made a bad policy decision. Uh, under this new regime, ICANN, and we all get together in ICANN, we make the policy, the IANA simply implements it. It decides, does dot sucks go into the root or not. That's all IANA does. The decision about whether it should go into the root is a policy decision, and that has to be squarely within the fair and equal environs of ICANN, where everybody's competing for policy uh, on the same playing field. 
Carol, I saw you had your hand up. Yeah, I just actually wanted to respond to uh, Milton's comment because that's exactly right. I can have MiltonMuellerSucks.com. I don't need to create an entire new GTLD in order to do it. Um, and the freedom of speech, it's there. I don't see how it's not being supported. Um, Okay, so um, I have, uh, as part of this panel, we had a, um, another section on um, international implications of all of the, oh, am I on, can you hear me? Yeah, okay. Um, uh, international implications of all this. I don't know, um, Cheryl, if I, can I turn to you quickly, very quickly, because I, I think I see a few hands in the audience who, who want to ask questions, and I don't want to take all of our time here. So can you speak quickly about the broader international context for this whole discussion that we're having here. That's a big ask. That's a really huge ask, and you're probably the best person actually <laughs> to do that, but I'll give it a shot. Um, I think this is a really critical year. I think, um, you know, countries are, different governments are looking at a lot of new issues that they're dealing with. Um, you know, we have enjoyed amazing growth with respect to the internet. There are still a lot of areas where there is not access and we're struggling to figure out, okay, how do we connect these different um, groups and populations with the internet so that they can really harness the benefits of it. I think uh, the multi-stakeholder process is really under a bit of a, a, a looking glass, so to speak. I think a lot of us are, who are within this realm are trying to understand, okay, what are the things that help it to work efficiently and effectively? What things do we need to, to still work on? Um, I Actually, I sit on the multi-stakeholder advisory group for the Internet Governance Forum, which is a long, fancy name um, for the group that helps to, to produce the IGF each year. And the IGF this year is actually up for renewal. Um, we have WISIS ongoing. Um, and so there are a lot of different processes in place, the, the IANA transition and all of these are impacting one another um, and, and, and impacting the ecosystem as a whole. And so I think there were some really good points that were raised with respect to concerns of government capture, um, fragmentation, et cetera. These are all ongoing um, and we're all looking at this. I think questions related to, you know, within this process, how do we, what is consensus? And how do we come to consensus? As you can see, there are issues that we, agree on um, and we may vehemently disagree on. And so how do we move forward and you know, make sure that we've created an internet that's safe, secure, uh, and will continue to grow and allow for new innovation globally? Uh, that's excellent. I think um, I would just say it, it is important, especially in, uh, when we're in the, the, the seat of government, so to speak, to understand that there are um, other seats of government all around the world that, are, are, that care very deeply about this, that have their own sets of interests, um, and are increasingly part of this discussion and uh, similar kinds of debates going on in other countries. And so we are all in a, a, a bigger context than, than, than in this room or in this building or in this city. Um, and uh, we see that all the time um, in the work that we do. Um, okay, Peter, I'll give you the last word and then I am, um, I, I think Tim, I can open it up for questions, right? Okay. Thanks, Sally. It goes back to the question about why are we doing this transition now, and that is it's, it is time to look at the, at the global uh, international context because, as I said before, ICANN is this extraordinary first time ever that a global resource is managed by this kind of a process instead of by governments and through treaty organisations, and not everybody is happy with that. So one of the very 
difficult jobs that ICANN has always done and I think done very well is kept on side a whole series of governments. There's now about 140, Jamie, or 100 and 150 governments working inside ICANN, inside a role that is difficult for them because they are advisory. And as we all know, governments think they're in charge and like to run things because that's what they're there for. So it's been an interesting challenge working out what are the proper areas for governments at home, making national and international policy, and what's their role in terms of advising this new developing kind of body. Outside that, there are other international organisations who don't like that at all, who think government should be in charge, and who fought actively to bring into their own ambit aspects of what we call internet governance. And many of you will remember there were resolutions passed in government houses here in 2012 because coming up at the meeting in Dubai, members of the, of the ITU wanted to bring aspects of internet governance into the international telecommunications regulations, which are international treaties governing uh, telecommunications. And that conference for the first time ever collapsed. There'd never been an international treaty on ITRs or telecommunications that failed as badly as that. And the United States government and a number of others withdrew and did not sign the, the final treaty. So that was part of the background leading up to the international telecommunications meeting last year at which again some member states opposed to the multi-stakeholder model and the freedom to operate that that gives uh, many of us. Tried to bring in again into the uh, international United Nations ambit, some of the aspects of internet governance. And I'm delighted to say with the efforts of Sally and the Internet Society and members, people in the room, the global internet community managed to uh, make sure that that didn't happen again. So it's important to understand that not everyone understands or is happy with the solution that we're now arguing about the minutiae of. There are some people who fundamentally disagree that uh, the technical community should have a vote, vote and that academics and government should all come together and make policy in this way. So that's an excellent summary. Um, I've seen a few hands go up throughout the meeting, and I, I would be surprised if we managed to cover this range of topics without at least uh, confusing some people. Um, we've got a lot of hands. So I did see uh, this woman here who's uh, black, purple, I think. I don't know. And then I see one here. Oh, boy. All right. We've got lots. Okay. And I see. Uh, can you stand up and just, there we go. Oh, God. Oh, no. The uh, joys of moderating. Um, the question was, um, or the comment was first, support free markets, um, uh, but a concern about um, extortion and whether WhiteHouse.com is an example of the way in which a domain name could be used as extortion against another legitimate entity. Is that a fair yeah, statement? Okay. Yeah. 
So, uh, well, so there's a, there's a um, there was a whole genre of cyber squatters called porn squatters. Uh, the famous uh, John Zuccarini uh, did did this. Um, not only would uh, you get porn when you went to a domain he had squatted, but you would get cascading, uh, uh, you know, <clears throat> browser after browser window jumping up on your screen with new forms of porn. So uh, he really took it to uh, almost a level of a fine art or some kind of <laughs> weird conceptual art. Uh, but the point is, uh, he was prosecuted uh, and uh, under basically some kind of concept of tarnishment, and his goal was tarnishment. But uh, if you're typing in, you know, Verizon.sucks or Milton Mueller sucks, and you find a bunch of negative information about Verizon or Milton, um, what's wrong with that? Okay, it's not deceptive. It's not like I, if anybody says anything negative about me on the Internet... What's, what's bad about these uh, porn squatters is that they are using, uh, playing off the expectation that you will find the White House at this website, and then you're getting porn. And the White House, uh, even during the Bush administration, was actually pretty tolerant of this for a long, long time. I don't know how it actually got cleaned up, because the last time I looked, uh, it was still there, but that was like, <laughs> that was like 10 years ago, I think. But, Cheryl, you want to respond? No, I just wanted to clarify. As I mentioned earlier, it's not about uh, you know the the freedom of speech. It's the process in which this particular GTLD was rolled out. Um, there were a lot of issues that the business community had with this, and so that's the core of where we take issue. I, I think you can say you know I fully support freedom of speech. You can say whatever you want on the internet, and that's why I there are like I said, there already is a VerizonSucks.com. It's fine. And additionally, I agree with uh, with Cheryl, but also just the confusion to small business owners about sort of this process and sort of uh, what their role is and what their what their requirements are. It, it continues to be sort of an, a process fraught with confusion. Makes my life easier. <laughs> Okay, we have two tough questions there. Um, Peter's got his hand up. Good. Well, I'm going to take the um, take the first one, oh, uh, if I may, and leave the net neutrality one to a, a more U.S. lawyer. Um, what, what you've touched on is something that's been a constant debate at ICANN, and I'm not sure that we've got the solution correct. The current solution, just to jump to it, is you are allowed to reserve behind a proxy. So if you have a name, uh, there are pro there are professional proxy servers, and most registrars offer a proxy service. 
and, and that itself has been a very contentious debate. There are a lot of people who have come to ICANN and said that should not be allowed. I should be able to find whoever I'm dealing with and whoever is infringing my copyright and so on. That, and they make a good argument because some of the people hiding behind proxy servers are very bad people. But at the same time, we've had to recognize that that kind of service is available to protect very good people. Um, and so come to an ICANN meeting because that's yours is exactly the kind of input we need into what is actually a very, very difficult policy debate. So there are mechanisms. Uh, we keep working on it. I just I do want to say I, I appreciate your point of view of um, there is a broad set of stakeholders that are impacted by these kinds of decisions. So we have a group up here, but um, we're all, I think, fairly mindful of uh, uh, the the broad nature of this, so I think that's a, a very good point. Cheryl raised her hand, said she'd take on the net neutrality one. So, mm -hmm. sure, um, and I, I clearly my company shares your concern, and we're actually starting to see areas where it is having a negative impact. Um, the U.S. decision in other countries, for example, what's happening in India right now um, with re respect to the laws that they're reviewing. So. It's, we've yet to see the full uh, ripple effect of it, but other countries clearly we're, we're watching very closely with respect to the U.S. decision, and we are noticing that there there is the potential for negative impact globally. And with respect to the ITU, I share your concern for what, what could be happening there as well. So there's a gentleman standing in the back. Uh, you? Yes, you. Uh, So I'm just going to repeat that in case people on the other side of the room didn't hear. I think we can hear now on the webcast, but not as well. I, uh, the gentleman raised a question about um, the fact that ICANN is currently headquartered uh, in California and a question of jurisdiction. Um, how, does, how does this continue to be governed uh, post-transition, and um, how do you enforce those governance rules uh, depending on the jurisdiction question? So, um, John? Okay. I'll take it. Uh, great question. Thank you for that. A um, couple of uh, responses. One is ICANN has been uh, upfront about the fact that it um, the entity sh will stay as a California not-for-profit corporation, so it will stay under California law. Uh, one of the proposals uh, that many folks are pushing is to uh, make that a bylaw. So make that a required bylaw. Another bylaw that other uh, that many of us are are pushing for is what we affectionately call the Golden Bylaw, which uh, can't be changed uh, very easily. So it's not like the I can't board could change the bylaw. So all these all this work that we're doing as a community to change the I can bylaws and change the accountability structures can't just be undone by the board very easily. We want um, a certain bylaws that would have additional protection and would require community support in order for to have those to be changed, one of which could be the uh, jurisdiction. Yeah. yeah, sure, Milton.
so Milton, you wanted to address the jurisdiction question, and then we have a question about um, there's a proposal on the Hill that the GAO review whatever final plan comes out, and the question was what's the view of the panelists on that proposal. But Milton, over to you on jurisdiction. Well, it's uh, actually related, but um, so jurisdiction um, has actually fallen kind of by the wayside, at least within the working groups, because I think what people have started to realize is that wherever ICANN is, it's going to be subject to uh, U.S. jurisdiction, European jurisdiction, any kind of major power that wants to make an issue with what ICANN does is going to be able to do so, and we've been working very intimately within the framework of California law to create these new accountability mechanisms. And if we, if we suddenly stepped outside of that into a new uh, legal regime, we would be kind of starting from scratch. We wouldn't know exactly what to do. And you have to know, and this is something that's dawned on everybody involved, you have to know what the actual legal uh, requirements and constraints are of these systems. And I think uh, post-FIFA, uh, the FIFA scandal, I think people are not so excited about uh, the idea of moving it to Switzerland anymore. Some of them were. And so there's no way you're going to escape U.S. jurisdiction, and there's all kinds of benefits to keeping it, uh, you know, the devil you know. Uh, so that's uh, how I would uh, respond to the jurisdiction question. Is there any uh, point of view on the GAO, this proposal for GAO review? I'm not sure anybody. Oh, Michelle. The GIO uh, review, I think, is um, an interesting um, step and, and one that, that might uh, garnish some some good uh, perspective. So I, I guess I would be in support of uh, the GIO review at this time. So, Tim, I just want to be sensitive. Oh, yeah. So I have one minute. One more question. Okay. Sorry. So, um, you know, obviously ICANN doesn't take a position on any uh, U.S. domestic legislation, whether, you know, uh, existing or in development. Um, but what's important through this process and what the rest of the world is looking for is how much, uh, how much confidence does the United States have in the multi-stakeholder model? And to the extent that the, that the, the um, evaluation of a proposal is outsourced to anything but the uh, multi-stakeholder community, uh, undermines uh, the, the view that this really is a different model. Okay, we have one more question here, sir. You get the stand up if you would, if you don't mind. Yeah, it's on, yeah. So the question is about whether uh, what uh, Jamie's views in particular and then others on the, on the panel of the FTC letter um, in response to this concern about um, dot sucks. Uh, chairman had, chairwoman had some, some specific recommendations and then there was an overall tone I think in that letter as well. So, um, so a couple of things. First, we think it's uh, uh, great that the Federal Trade Commission continues to um, be involved with ICANN. They've had a long involvement with us. Um, this, what this letter illustrates in part, you know, the part that had nothing to do with, um, uh, with, with the uh, dot sucks issue 
is that even at, you know the the U.S. government is going to continue to have a major role within ICANN long after the the transition. Um, the uh, in terms of the specific recommendations, um, as many know, you know a lot of those uh, issues were discussed among the community before the program was launched. We are now uh, in the middle of a, a beginning a review of the program, uh, and the community will again uh, presumably discuss a lot of these uh, same issues and de determine whether or not uh, changes or improvements uh, need to be made along the lines uh, suggested by uh, Chairman Ramirez or, or, or uh, you know, others in the community. Any other views on the chairwoman's letter? Just a reminder that it, it's, it's one government agency from one country of the world, and if ICANN pays too much attention to it, that will undermine uh, completely the processes that we've been talking about. Good suggestions, if that's what they are, from Fed regulatory agencies need to come through a proper ICANN process, uh, and and uh, you know this kind of correspondence is interesting, uh, but it has to to be effective. They have to come to an ICANN come into an ICANN process. If they're talking about increasing IP protection, which I'm in favour of, and I think most people are, then there's a whole process for strengthening the IP protections. Um, so I'm just cautioning you know about the relationships for ICANN to be uh, taking on board letters from individual governments is a dangerous course of action. Milton. Following up on that, I'm pointing the finger at Jamie here and saying, you shouldn't have never passed those letters on to the FTC and asked for their advice. That simply shouldn't have happened. You should have said, we passed this policy. It came out of our process. The policy was implemented. Uh, if you don't like it, um, you know, if you think it's actually illegal in U.S. jurisdiction, then sue them under the U.S., but it's not our job to uh, do that. But I think ICANN is a bit intimidated now by the transition and by the pressure that's put on them by Congress and by some of the special interests that are, are very powerful in the Washington framework. So in a way, they were capitulating. They were saying, look, we really can be called on the carpet by the US government, and we really can you know, back off of our own policies and our own processes if, if you guys put enough pressure on us. And I think that was wrong. It shouldn't have happened. Thanks, Milton. Just to respond quickly, and what we did in that instance is what we've done in uh, similar instances both in the U.S. and around the world, which is when we are presented with an issue that we believe is outside of our remit, remit outside of our expertise, as we were with the letter, uh, having to deal with competition concerns, we're not a competition authority. We handed it over to the relevant competition authorities, the FTC and, uh, and, and OCA. We do that in other contexts. Uh, you know, we did it before the transition, we'll do it after the transition. So I think that's going to be the last word. We've overstayed our welcome here in the room. It's good to see everybody still uh, here. We kept a lot of your attention, so it must be an interesting topic. Uh, thank you very much. Thanks to the panelists, and thanks to the Internet Caucus. Thank you.